Arizona Sports, the local sports leader, Bigly Blast. The finish line is finally mercifully here. The most dysfunctional season in Cardinals history is upon us. It is proof that even the worst seasons eventually come to an end. And with it comes a great opportunity for Michael Bidwill to be our hero once again. And that's because there are many Cardinal fans fearful that Bidwill is too chained to his comfort zone to bring in a new leadership team. That there's too much money involved in a full-blown house cleaning that if he were able to fire Steve Kime, he would have done so by now. Those fears will be blown away in a good way if Bidwill acts decisively. He could electrify the Valley by bringing in Sean Payton, a proven impact coach who checks every single box for an instant rebuild and is exactly the kind of guy who can build a culture of accountability and get Kyler Murray on a better path. But it doesn't even have have to be a Hall of Fame hire like Sean Payton. If Bidwell just brings in a new GM from the outside and a new head coach with fresh eyes who can do for Arizona what Brian Dayball did for the Giants, it will show that the owner is still serious, that Bidwell is still pursuing victory at all costs, and that he still cares as much as his fan base, the ones clamoring for real renewal. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury affordable. They've also got two great locations. You can find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. You know, we talk every day, so we've had a great relationship, and it's just um, business as usual, trying to win games. That, that's the only thing we talk about is, um, you know, what's the roster looking like, who's playing, who's not, and how does it look this week? All right, let's talk about what is going to happen because week 18 in the NFL, um, you know how this plays out. There's a handful of teams that have already clinched and they're getting ready for the playoffs. Those teams and those fan bases are in a great place because this is this week is sort of the calm before the storm for them. You've got a handful of teams that are competing for playoffs and it's a tremendously exciting time for those fan bases. And then you've got teams that are out of the picture, teams that are going into Black Monday and that Black Monday is much more important to the to the present and the short term than actually Sunday's football game. Now, unfortunately, the Cardinals are one of those football teams, and, and that is really what we're getting down to here, and that is the renewal. Is it going to happen? What if it does? What is it going to look like? What does this football team need? And how soon can this football team get back into the game? If you're looking for solace, understand this. That even though the Seahawks fleeced the Denver Broncos, and even though the Seahawks have got it, are going to get a top five pick that that they didn't earn from their play on the field, they still have a they still have uncertainty at the quarterback position. I, I don't care how good of a reclamation story Geno Smith was. Personally, that doesn't look like an obstacle that you're going to fear for a decade. You look at the Rams. You don't know where Matthew Stafford is going. You don't know what's going on with Sean McVay. There is a lot of there's a lot of case to be made that the Rams might be a one and done kind of team. And then of course you've got the 49ers who to me to me that's going to be the problem going forward because they have got an impact coach, they've got a real good GM, they have built a great football team and all they're missing is that quarterback piece. So what's in front of you and what's around you in the division, it's managed if you can get this thing on a better track. 
a track that may start rolling a different direction on Monday. You know, we've seen Black Mondays in the NFL big where there's you know seven, eight coaches that are, uh, that are that are released. This Black Monday is going to be relatively calm, I would think. I mean, the Cardinals and the and the Texans may may ultimately make a move. I guess maybe I don't know. Is Josh McDaniels on the on the hot seat in, in Vegas? Uh, the Falcons are not going to fire their their coach. Uh, the Bears are not going to fire their coach. Those guys are too new on the job. I doubt they'd be one and done. So mm-hmm. you're looking at the Cardinals and maybe the Texans as the only two teams that would make a move on Black Monday. And yeah, you look at the look at the division and I mean you'll hear that Jeff Saturday maybe is not going to be the coach of the Colts. But to me they've already fired their coach. Yeah, yeah they have. That's I mean, right. So so right. And, and the Panthers have already fired their coach. So these, right. and, and the Broncos right, have already fired And the yes. Broncos have already yes. fired their coach. So the, the in that regard it'll be a quiet Black Monday. But yeah, looking at the division, mm-hmm. uh, the the 49ers there, uns- there is uncertainty at quarterback, but they've got two young ones that maybe one of those guys will will end up being a quarterback and a high level quarterback for the next ten to twelve years. John Lynch has done there what you'd love to see a GM do here: aggressively make moves, bring in difference making players when Physical they are players. available, draft well. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I mean, I just love an aggressive GM. Oh, Christian McCaffrey's available. Let's go get him. Mm-hmm. Even though they may have swung and missed on Trey. Lance, mm-hmm. at least he was aggressively pursuing somebody he thought could be a difference maker. Their offensive linemen, they've drafted well in the mid-rounds. They've got draft picks who are starting in the first round. Mike McGlinchey, first-round pick. You know, Then they go out and get the big guy out of free agency because he was available. Maybe they traded for him. Whatever, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be, they acquired him. And they go out there and, and yeah. they go out there and they aggressively at all turns try to make their football team better. They don't sit idly by and well, we re-signed our own guys mm-hmm. and well, we're, we're hopefully some of these guys will turn out uh, well coming out of the draft. Yeah, which seemingly has not happened here in a real long time. So I listen. Here, here's what I think. I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of fluid situations in the NFL. Like you, you pointed to the Texans, Lovey Smith. He's probably done there. Todd Bowles was considered on a high seed for a bit. Maybe that's going to depend on how they do in the playoffs. I think winning that game against Carolina kind of kept his job safe. People have said for a while, maybe Josh McDaniels is in trouble in Vegas. I don't know. This Jared Stidham thing might be his life preserver that gets him another year. People have looked at Ron Rivera and said he might be in line to be replaced with the commanders and 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 the fact that, that Ron Rivera going into last week's game was surprised to find out that his team had already been eliminated. That was stunning to me. That's jarring. Yeah, that was kind. Of, and then there's De- then there's Dennis Allen in New Orleans, and no one knows what they're going to do there as well. So there's a candidate of guys that might be fired on Monday, but it seems like the one that everybody is indeed expecting is Cliff Kingsbury. I would also say this: that if the Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury part ways on Monday, I don't think it's going to be a acrimonious thing. I, I think I personally believe that if Michael has made that decision, and I agree with you that he has already made that decision, letting it go to the end of a San Francisco game in Week 18 would be nonsensical. But I, I, th- I think Cliff would be as ready to walk away from this if that were the case and, and, and ready to accept that. I take a lot out of what Cliff's camp was telling 
Jeremy Fowler and Josh Weinfuss in that article. I, 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 I trust those guys were, were dealing with sources who legitimately were close to Cliff Kingsbury. So when, when you hear that Cliff is tired of the BS and he may walk away, you, you look at, you look at, I'm not a mind reader, but I, yeah, you can kind of look at a guy's face. He looks, he he looks like a beaten man. Yeah, Cliff. like he's out of thing, he's out of things to say. We have the ability mm-hmm. to see some speeches on Hard Knocks, and I know they don't show everything that Cliff said, but mm-hmm. boy, it seems like the same thing over and over again. Like he's he's almost throwing his hands up. I will say this. When Ray Anderson and Michael Crow fired Herm Edwards, I was convinced Herm Edwards was the happiest guy on the planet. Like, good, I don't got to do this crap on Monday. And I'd been walking out of here with 10 million bucks and I can go back and yap on TV and do my Herm stuff on TV. Like, I, I, I was convinced Herm was the happiest guy in the stadium when he found out that he was going to lose his job because he was done. Mm-hmm. There was no path for recovery for Herm Edwards. I'm not sure Cliff is at that level, mm-hmm. but I think there's some truth in what you're saying in terms of Cliff may be ready to move on as yeah, well, well and just because, do something else because it ain't working here, and Cliff knows it too. Well, exactly, and there's there's things here that have stood in Cliff Kingsbury's way, and, and I would be it wouldn't be fair to not recognize them. I mean, to have to allocate time to watching film with an owner, that's not something that Normally, most head coaches have to deal with to have a quarterback that's been um, that's been as limited and and hard to manage as Kyler Murray. That hasn't been easy. We've heard reports that Steve Kime wasn't around in the building that much this year, so there was nowhere for Cliff to go if he if he needed to express, "Hey, I need help. I need this. I need that." So I, I am sympathetic to some of the forces that worked against Cliff Kingsbury, but I also believe that that Cliff knows who he is, and I think he's. He's given a clear picture of what he is as a football coach, and it's not a good fit for the NFL, in my opinion. And we're not basing this just on this year. We're basing it on... Well, listen, I've been I've been saying this for a couple of years yeah. now to the point where people think I've got an agenda against you, Cliff Kingsbury, and I don't. You you saw the way they played the second half of last year, I think, and you were saying like you wouldn't be against making a change this past offseason. No, it, exactly. Because you can't just keep Cliff with Kyler. If it's not, the longer you wait, the longer it's going to hurt. The more bad habits you breed. Yeah. Listen, I, I I was listening to um, to Mike Florio talk to Rich Eisen about this. Couple smart football guys, and and Mike Florio was making the case that Sean Payton is exactly the kind of guy that can that can proverbially grab proverbially grab Kyler Murray by the shirt collars and say, "Listen to me." What do you want? Because if you want to be great, I can get you there. I've done it before. Uh, I've done it with Drew Brees. In fact, Mike Florio said, said, Kyler Murray is Drew Brees with a rocket up his backside, although he didn't use the word backside. And so, and so Mike Florio is painting this picture of Sean Payton being not only the guy that can do this for Kyler Murray, but a guy that would want to do this for Kyler Murray. And a step and, further, a guy Kyler Murray would listen to, Dan. Well, how would you not? How could exactly. you? Not? And that, that's what this kid needs. This kid needs somebody who is strong enough and accomplished enough to tell him, you're not doing it your way. You're doing it my way. Because my way works. Your way worked in college. Like I said earlier, a little bit like Phil Jackson and Kobe Bryant way back mm-hmm. in the day. Yep. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. There you go. The FanDuel text line, Jared. At oh, yeah. It's up, it's up and running. 620-620. <laughs> All right. What did Bill Simmons have to say about the Phoenix Suns? Mm. Yeah, we'll tell you next when we come back. Tim Ring, Dan Bickley, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mm.
Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. I was a big eight and defender. This season's been concerning. It reminds me of the centers I grew up with in the 80s, like the Joe Barry Carroll type guys, where it's like they're getting their stats. It's fine if you're not actually watching it. If you're watching it, like there's something slightly missing. And it doesn't seem, within the team, it doesn't seem awesome either. That the voice of Bill Simmons, noted NBA fan, borderline expert, sharing some opinions on what he sees from DeAndre Ayton. Uh, Suns back in action tonight, limping home to Footprint Center to take on the Miami Heat. I believe they've lost 12 of their last 16. They've lost 12 of 16. 12 of 16. They've uh, and, and even more alarming than the numbers, it's they look like without Devin Booker, they look like they used to look like without Devin Booker before Chris Paul showed up. So the pre-bubble Phoenix Suns without Devin Booker, that's what this team has looked like. And it's been very disconcerting. Successful basketball teams always have chemistry and cohesion and guys have defined roles and they excel in those roles. And it kind of like it's like a nice jigsaw puzzle and you go out there and you steamroll competition night in and night out. Like the Suns' formula for winning last year was they they, they they won some easy games, but remember, we talked about it yesterday and their inability to close out the Cavs. A formula for winning a lot of those games last year was you know, a 50-50 game with five, seven minutes to go, and then it was Chris Paul and Devin Booker time. This year's edition without Devin Booker, without Cam Johnson, without JaVale McGee, without Jay Crowder, the, the roles are not there. The chemistry is not there. The cohesion is not there. They're not getting... They're not getting production from guys that they need to get it now from. Mm -hmm. And and Simmons is right to a certain extent. I mean, DeAndre Ayton does have the cosmetic numbers. If you just were a box score watcher, Uh you'd be like, hey, DeAndre Ayton's playing really, really well. Double-double. He's good. But if you watch the games, and, and, and not to put it all on Ayton, but I think Simmons is basically echoing what we were saying earlier. One yeah. of these days, DeAndre Ayton's got to carry his okay. team to a win He's, or two. And, and again, it's so what's different about DeAndre Ayton? Well, everything is different about DeAndre Ayton. He's a number one overall pick. That makes him different. Number uh, The Luka Doncic thing, that makes him different. And But fine, more to the point is he has got everything to do it. That's what makes people like me so nuts about DeAndre Ayton is, you know, I get asking Mikael Bridges to grow his game and be in an offensive force and then realizing, hey, you know what? He's never been that guy. He played 100 games in college. He never averaged more than 11 points a game. Who are we to think he can jump to 18 per night in the NBA? Okay, our bad. DeAndre Ayton is different. We've seen him do it. He's got untapped potential. Even when he goes 28 and 20, you look at him and say there could be more. He's never had a 40-point game, which is ludicrous. He's he, he's for any game he has that's not double digit rebounds is ludicrous. And again, it's not individual. But to me, what makes me mad is is I, when you juxtapose that with some of the things he says, like I want to be an all star. I'm dominating. I want to be this. And, and yet, this th- year's different. This year's different. And, and 
and and you have to play Waynes. It goes in, it goes out, it goes up, it goes down. And against Cleveland, I I had no issues with the way he played defensively against Cleveland. I had no issues with the way he rebounded. He looked really engaged. I did have issues with the way he played offensively. There is way too often when the Suns get Suns players get the ball on the inside and pass it back out to the perimeter. DeAndre Ayton does that way too much. As you pointed out in a tweet you put out recently, and I thought it was well, very well done. There's this play. He's got a defender on his left hip, a right, a drop step, and go up to the basket. It's right there. It's right there. And There's... he goes right into the defender to fade away and do a jump hook. And he gets away with it, but getting away with it robs the team of the physicality and the free throw shooting it needs. There's been so many plays, too, where he'll get an offensive rebound, and his first instinct is to always... Pass it out. Look who it is. Instead of go back up with yeah. it and put in. But here, this is another uh, cut mm-hmm. from the same uh, Simmons podcast. This he had a uh, Rob Mahoney, who's an NBA writer for the Ringer, on talking about DeAndre. Ayton. This has been a really dispiriting season of watching DeAndre Ayton play basketball. To be totally honest with you, and that's mm-hmm. the the problem with that is exactly what you outlined. Like everyone in the league knows it. These teams are playing against him. They're seeing him kind of float through some games, like not really assert himself, like have opportunities where he could be dominant, but just doesn't. Everyone in the league is clocking the same things with about DeAndre Ayton that we are. And those teams are not going to give you tons of stuff in a trade for him. That's that's just really not going to happen. And yet Bridges is the guy you would probably want to hold on to. So I, I don't know how you navigate that. Yeah, that, that stemmed from Bill Simmons asking Mahoney what if DeAndre Ayton could be a trade piece to try mm-hmm. to fix what's going on. And that was that that was Mahoney's response. Is that you know the other teams are seeing what the Suns are seeing out of DeAndre Ayton? You know Al McCoy was on with us the other day, and Al brought, Al brought up the way the Suns used DeAndre, let him floating around, setting high screens, yeah. catching yeah. the ball, facing the basket, uh-huh. and, and even though Dan, you brought up my tweet, and well, this is what happens when you give him the ball in the low post; mm-hmm. he spins right back out of the low post mm-hmm. for a jump hook. But it doesn't mean <laughs> mm-hmm. it doesn't mean maybe they shouldn't try to establish him as. No. As Al McGuire would say, the aircraft carrier Thank in you. the paint. I would do that, yes. Tim. I'm, I'm at the point with this guy and this team and the lack of connectivity and just their in-and-out ability to play consistent offense. Until Devin Booker gets back, I would be a firm advocate of, of putting him on the block, put, give, giving him the ball, and then have everybody on the team just back away. And it's like, it's you. It's you, man. Do it. And and force him to engage. And again, I, I get it. You you can't make a, a passive person um, uh, extremely aggressive overnight. But it's been there in the past. He's done it in the past. And if he wants to be an all star, this is he's got a golden opportunity right now. Devin Booker is gone. If he steps up and carries this team, everyone will remember that. Everyone will note that. Everyone will go, okay, all star. I, it's it again. I I know I'm putting way too much blame on the young man, but I'm doing it because he's the one guy, in my opinion, who can lift this team out of this. It's got it's got to be him. I will I will say one thing, guys. I I don't think it's different this year. I think DeAndre Ayton's always been this guy. The difference is there's not a Devin Booker, there's not a Jay Crowder, there's not a Javale McGee, there's not a Cam Johnson, there's not an All NBA performer in Chris Paul's body right now. So he's getting. And I'm not exposed. That's the wrong word. But more is demanded of him right now to try to win games. And he's still kind of the same DeAndre Ayton we've seen before, yeah. content to be the mm-hmm. third scorer, the, 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 the third option. 
option, if you will. A guy who can go out there and get you 24 and 12, not dominate, but the the Suns still win the game. So nobody's upset about anything because Booker and Johnson and all the other guys, they did their job. His career career has been a series of this is what's going to wake him up. Oh, his suspension. Now he's going to come out of this and he's going to be fired up. Oh, Luca's, you know, an MVP candidate every year. That's going to motivate him to, to, it's going to fire him up. Oh, there were trade rumors. Oh, he didn't get the contract he wanted. That's going to fire him up. Oh, this guy's injured. Yes. He is. I hate this phrase. It is what it is, but Mm -hmm. he is what he is. At this point, we're we're well into his career now. This is not the first year. No. He's very. He's a very, very good third option, and I, and I, and that's why I always wanted DeAndre Ayton to come back. And I think he's. I do. I do believe at the age of twenty four, he's going to be better. I believe he's going to be very, very difficult to to defend when he's twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty in this league. But you got to have do. other pieces around. I do. I do. I. I. I but, but but as a number one, though. No. No. As a number. As a number three. Like if you if you have a Devin Booker, and then Chris Paul will be gone by then. But if you have a, 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 a Robin to Booker's Batman, I think Da's a guy is a third guy can help yeah. you win a lot of basketball games. All right, before we go to break, real quick, um, that podcast also points out one of the follies was not having Chris Paul's replacement to plan for what we're seeing now. That, of course, was Tyrese Halliburton, who was sitting right there for James Jones. You want to play that clip real quick? Everyone knew it. Play it, Jarrett. Them not taking Halliburton was just a crippling decision. It really was. That's like one of the big draft what-ifs we've had in the last 10 years because he was sitting there, and, and he'd already fallen a couple spots where it was like, whoa, why hasn't anyone taken Halliburton yet? And then he lands in that Phoenix spot and they take Jalen Smith who lasts two years. But you just think that one decision, and they've made some good ones, that one decision, it's a completely different scenario right now than if Booker he, and Halliburton. He would change the complexion of their entire team. Tyrese Halliburton has become that guy who like there yeah. are GMs, assistant GMs, scouts who are going to be up at night for the next five years thinking like why couldn't I convince the right people in the room even if you were a believer like why couldn't you sell the right people that he was your guy because he's proving to be exactly that kind of player a guy who who could be a perfect pivot piece for them right and going from you've been to the NBA finals you've been a really good team you've tried to make this work with you know a slightly more veteran core in Phoenix yeah but now it's time for the Devin Booker Tyrese Halliburton era you know like now we, we are transitioning to that version of our team and that would have been a hell of a thing to watch it's a shame we won't get to see it what a mistake that would have been oh, it was a mistake was. in I, real time we, we, we knew it, it. Yep. And we all knew it what a player uh, ugh, so frustrating all right on the other side we got a treat for all you valley sports fans kurt warner joining us timbering dan bickley arizona sports the local sports leader Football Friday with Bickley and Murata. Presented by 72 Soul. Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. Happy Friday, everybody. Dan Bickley here. Tim Ring in for Vinny. He'll be back on Monday. Our great pleasure to welcome in the legendary Hall of Fame quarterback, Kurt Warner. Hey, Kurt, happy Friday. How are you? Hey guys, how's it going? All right, we Good there's man. so much cardinal related stuff we want to talk to, and we're going to get to you in a minute, in a second about that. But let's start with Demar Hamlin because you're a guy that embodies the best of football, that embodies what football can do for somebody. You've also seen, you know, some of the worst sides of football. What did you process? What did you feel emotionally throughout the story of Demar Hamlin? 
Um, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot of the emotions that, uh, you know, the other people felt, other guys that, that play the game, you know, I was in the stadium calling the game for radio, um, you know, when the incident occurred and it was, uh, it was eerie and it, and, and I felt it physically and, um, you know, I don't know where everybody else stood, but I don't know if there was a minute that went by from the time that uh, the incident happened until we got the good news yesterday and getting more news today where I didn't think about him. Um, it just, it, it really impacted me, um, you know, whether it was thinking about it as a, as a former player and putting myself in the shoes of, uh, you know, of all those people, um, you know, that, that witnessed it, that, that, that the teammates that were on the field, um, you know, to, to think about, you know, as a teammate trying to move forward, you know, here I am separated from it, don't even know DeMar, and I was thinking about it every minute of every day, just hoping and praying for this young man. Uh, I can't imagine what, you know, those guys are trying to, to deal with as they're, you know, supposed to prepare for another game. Uh, and then I, I think it gives you a perspective of how people watch the game when you were playing. You know, I, I heard so often my wife tell me that, it's hard for her to enjoy games when I played because she was always watching me first and making sure that I was okay, that, that I got up. There wasn't, you know, anything major happening with me. And then you try to enjoy on top of that. And, you know, I heard that for so many, you know, years and so many times she told me that. And, and I never really understood it um, because as a player, you never think about those things. You know, you, you think about why you play the game and how much you enjoy the game. You don't think about the perspective of everybody else. And, you know, I may understand it a little bit more having kids that play at the college level and thinking about that a little bit. But I think about how, how many people are going to watch the game differently uh, this weekend, um, you know, spouses or children or family members. And so, you know, there's just so much that kind of weighed heavy on me and made me think and give me perspective on, on different things. Um, but I also feel, you know, the, the, the joy that everybody's feeling right now, that it seems like the young man is, is doing really, really well. And he's on the road to recovery. And uh, I think it lightens, lightens all of us, um, you know, that we're, we're affected by this. Yeah. We're visiting with Kurt Warner and, and the, the news that Kurt is uh, referencing this morning, the latest out of Cincinnati, the breathing tube has been taken out of DeMar Hamlin and he has begun talking with Buffalo Bills teammates uh, once again. So that's good news. Kurt, uh, so we can comfortably transition to football. The Cardinals go into the season finale in San Francisco, 4-12. and 12. Uh, Barring an unforeseen miracle, they're going to finish 4-13. and 13. Uh, Let me just put it to you this way. What has to happen to fix what's going on here in Arizona? If you were Mike Bidwell, what would you do Kurt Warner to get this thing back at least on the right track to begin the recovery process to getting back to the postseason well I think the the beautiful thing about the NFL now is is that oftentimes you know one year can be the difference between you know having a bad year and a good year and we, we see that all the time is that there can be quick fixes and uh, you know, the, the difference between good teams and average teams or bad teams in the league is not that big of a difference. Um, but it comes down to, to, to building chemistry and finding the right identity for your team and, and adding the, the pieces that you need to, you know, to, to move this thing in the right direction. But when I look at the Cardinals, the first thing that I continue to look at is 
they've got to find an offensive identity. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've been watching them for years, you know, with Kyler and Cliff, and I've never really been able to pinpoint who they are offensively, what they're going to be, what they're going to hang their hat on, what they're going to do really, really well that's going to separate them. And I think it's got to start there. Um, I look at the team, and, and I don't look at the team and say, man, they don't have talent. They don't have guys that can be game changers. They've, they've got some really, really good players. They just haven't been able to meet, for me, to, to find that identity and, and say, you know, we're going to be really good in this area. And that's going to be able to sustain us because we have good players. Every game I watch, it, it you know, just seems kind of disjointed. And that, to me, is, is what's most important, is that you got to figure it out. Um, you know, I remember when Coach Wisenhut came in, and, you know, he was coming from a system that was a two-back, one-tight-end, play-action team in, in Pittsburgh and how they had always had success. And, you know, so when guys come in having success a certain way, they say, well, this is what we're going to try to build here. And how we had to transition and go, that's not how we're built. We don't have that. You know, we're, we're not a power run team. We need to be a three-and-four-wide team. And so we had to adjust and figure out what our identity is you know, behind me and, and behind guys like Larry and Q and, and what we did well. And being able to define that and then start to build around that is what allowed us to have the success that we did and kind of, you know, shape our team. I think that's important for, for every team is to figure out who we are, who are the guys in the building, and what can we do, uh, you know, each and every week that, that says we can be competitive if, if we stay in this, you know, in this realm. And I just I have struggled to figure out what that is for the Cardinals offense over the last few years. And I think that's where it has to start, um, you know, if they're going to turn this thing around, because we know it's a quarterback driven league and it starts on the offensive side because it's an offensive driven league. And I just don't think they've found that yet. Um, but that's where I'm going to start with whatever pieces I have in place. How do you think Kyler Murray is going to handle transitioning into the quarterback that he needs to be to be successful on the NFL level while also going through rehab and rectifying and reconciling you know, all the psychological roadblocks that that brings with it? Well, I mean, I think every competitor, um, you know, when, when you're faced with situations like this, you embrace it and you hit the ground running. And I have no doubts that Kyler's going to do that and going to attack this thing physically. And, you know, the hope is that he gets back to the Kyler that we've seen physically at the beginning stages of his career because that's such a huge part of his game. You know, the, the thing that I would say is that where I believe Kyler – you know, has to continue to get better is his ability to play inside the pocket, uh, to play more conventional quarterback. Um, and that's the hard part is that while you're doing all of this stuff and this rehab and trying to get back physically, uh, it's already hard enough to, to learn that stuff in the off season. Anyways, like you don't go out, you know, every, you know, every day and get seven on seven. So you can mentally go through the processing of, of plays and reading defenses that is so limited um, that, you know, even when, when I played and that was my greatest strength, I didn't really know how to do that in the off season. You know, you can't just watch film and think that that's going to help you with the processing. So that's a hard part um, 
of it anyways because you need all that time that you get in a, in a football situation, you know, the OTAs and everything, to really help you because it's the only time you really get a chance to, to play the quarterback position. So that continues to be, I think, the challenge for Kyler is that, you know, so gifted in, in so many different ways. And I believe he's going to embrace that you know, physical challenge and he's going to get back as close as he can to what he was before physically. The question becomes, how does he grow, you know, from the mental perspective of, of playing the position? How does he do that going through the injury? How does he do that moving forward? Um, because those gains have been much slower for him, um, you know, over the first few years of his career. Great stuff, Kurt. We could talk to you for hours, but we got to run. Thank you. Have a great weekend, my man. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys. Take care. See you Former soon. Cardinal great. Oh. Hall of Famer Kurt Warner joining us, as he frequently does, and it's always our pleasure when he does. When we come up on the other side, a look at what is happening in the NFL in Week 18. And yes, Jared Carlin has a parody song for all of you. Stick around. Let's, let's stick around anyway. That's next. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Football Friday with Bickley and Murata. Presented by 72 Sold, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Yeah, David will start. Um, last week he didn't get the full process. You know, he just really practiced Friday. So I want to see what he can do. The full process um, and see kind of how he plays against really good defense. It's the last game. It couldn't come any quicker. But who's gonna play? With injuries everywhere but kicker. Kyler just got his big surgery. It will be a long recovery. They're shutting down McCoy. I don't know why. And they're done with Trace McSorley after one disaster start. And so they say, I think we'll play Dave Blau. There doesn't seem to be anyone else now. I think we'll play Dave Blau. He's going to get to start the final time around. I can't say honestly that I ever thought this would happen. You know, there's only 32 starting quarterbacks tomorrow. And to be one of them, I don't take it lightly. Kyler just got his big surgery. It will be a long recovery. They're shutting down McCoy. I don't know why. And they're done with Trace McSorley after one disaster starting. So they say, I think we'll play Dave Blau. There doesn't seem to be anyone else now. I think we'll play Dave Blau. He's gonna get to start the final time around. Oh boy. That was certainly a parody song. <laughs> what do you think That's of that, Ruthless? Oh boy. I love yeah, how he goes boy. blow every time. It's not blow, it's blow. 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 Apologies to Tiffany and Tommy James in the Chandel. Wow. Yeah. Just wow. Okay. All right. We, just yeah. blow. Yeah, no, yeah, okay. That was, a, that, was a, that was indeed a parody song. That was indeed one of there them. There you go. Mm-hmm, there you go. All right. Week 18 in the NFL. This is an interesting weekend. There's a lot of stuff going around. Obviously, uh, the story of, of the Buffalo Bills and DeMar Hamlin and what he's gone through and his rapid recovery in the last 24 to 36 hours, it, it is really kind of 
change the tone and the vibe of everything. It is uh, such a gift for the NFL that that their EMTs were able to revive this young man and and the fact that he was able to recover the fact that he opened his eyes the fact that he was squeezing the hands of his loved ones the fact that that he actually came to and said did we win the game it it's it's almost like that scene out of Rocky right when Rocky's wife tells Rocky to go win it it almost feels that way to me that that the NFL um, by the grace of God, got exactly the kind of ending they needed to get on with this weekend. I'm also going to say this. I said this at the start of the show, and I really believe this, because in retrospect, as I've gone through in my brain, everything we experienced last Monday night, which was really a jarring communal viewing experience for all of us, that the Cincinnati Bengals fans deserve a lot of credit for the comportment and the class they showed in the stadium that night. Now, I'm not saying that other NFL cities might have acted differently, but I am here to tell you that was a Monday night game in Cincinnati. It was a showdown, and there were probably people were probably partying and tailgating since noon. When the injury happened, they acted with exactly the kind of class and respect and dignity you would hope from a fan base. And when the game was canceled, they didn't throw cups on the field. They didn't boo. They filed away into the night with reverence and care for the young man who was injured. I don't know if every sports town would have done that, but Cincinnati did, and I think it's a credit to them. Right, a lot of humanity showed yes. that, especially because they don't – listen, I guess they could have people texting them, but they've. we've all seen plenty of injuries before. We've seen carts. We've actually seen ambulances in the game always continues. Mm-hmm. So there is that possibility that another fan base – May have been a bit liquored up and fired up for the game, not understanding why would this game be yeah. canceled for this particular injury. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems like they all had a pretty good grasp, for one reason or another, on the severity of, yes. of what was taking place down there on the field. And a credit to, credit to their fan base. And also, I want to mention the name Denny Kellington. Uh, Denny was the Bills' assistant athletic trainer who performed the CPR on DeMar Hamlin that night on the field. And doctors at the Cincinnati Hospital flat out say that that CPR ultimately saved his life. So here's here's Denny Kellington. Wow. Uh, probably been, a, I don't know how long he's been there, but figure he's been there for a bunch of football games and he's never had to call on his ability to do CPR and he's probably watching the game like everybody else and all of a sudden in that moment all of your training, everything you've been taught to do has to be put in place and time is a ticking. Yeah. And he was able to get out there and, and Vic, you mentioned the other day, he's in pads. And they got a, they got a, a jaws of life to get those shoulder right, pads off right. to get it that hard. I know how about it. I mean, every second is precious. Yes, yes, and and so for this thing to have sort of um, ended the way it did, it's it's a victory for uh, for a lot of people. And starting with that young man you talked about, I read the same thing, and and it's I'm just I'm so relieved the the story ended that way because it allows it allows football to be football this weekend because had. Had Demar Hamlin not recovered, if he was still in critical condition, if he was still intubated, if if he was still unresponsive, if he couldn't breathe on his own, I think it'd be hard for football to be played this weekend. It would have been played had, worst case scenario, that young man not made it. This would have been this would have been the NFL's worst nightmare. And instead, now they've kind of got they've kind of got this story that allows the whole sport to proceed this weekend and allows us to kind of get back into the normal realm of being football fans. 
So now, for those who don't know, that Bills Bengals games Bengals game has been canceled entirely. The competition committee has come up with a plan that the NFL owners have to vote on today. It can be amended, but basically, what it does is it says that if you get into a situation where two teams um, are going to play in the AFC championship game and they don't have the same amount of games played, it's going to be a neutral site game. I understand that there's that that might be an equitable solution. I'm really not a fan of it because selfishly, I know this thing is going to end up in a dome stadium, and that's the last environment I want to see a championship game, conference championship game in. But I did read somewhere that we mentioned Detroit earlier. I guess that field is not available. Yeah, it's not available though because it's scheduled to have its turf flipped over. Yeah. I mean that seems like something you, you could, could probably reschedule, reschedule right? Yeah. Or if Dana's right and they're going to play it indoors, I don't know why that would be an automatic. I agree with Dan; they're probably going to play it indoors. But why does it have to be played indoors? I mean, why can't they? Why can't they play it at uh, at, at Soldier Field or, or at Lambeau Field or at High? Why does Field? it have to be at a neutral location anyway? I, I just they're trying to balance out what's fair and what's not but, fair. But it's unfair to one of the teams. That would have had home field. I guess the so thinking it's, is it's unfair would, to both teams instead of one team. Because I think they're thinking that you, even though you, you didn't really win home field. Right. You're you already did. getting a first round bye for the number one seed. We're not going to give you a double advantage when the team, when there's another team that could have had that, could have. was robbed of that because they didn't have the same amount of games. It's too bad there's so much logistical stuff. Because do you remember? In baseball, during the uh, the 2020 COVID year, they would rearrange the schedule on the fly. Mm-hmm. And like this team has COVID, this team has COVID. Okay, the two teams you're playing will play each other. Like they could have just rearranged it this week so the Bengals and Bills play each other this weekend, and then have the Patriots play whoever the Bengals are playing. There's a lot of things they could have done. I, I joked about it earlier. It's like that we only have bad ideas. This one, according to the NFL, is the best of the bad ideas. Yeah, and it seems to me they really wanted to keep that week between the Super Bowl and the championship games open for whatever Pro Bowl festivities they've got going on. That's ex- it doesn't look is, like they wanted to give that up. Which is funny because they don't even have a Pro Bowl this year. No, but... That, but they put a lot of money into the skills. This new thing, Thank I know, you. yeah. yeah. I was gonna, when it comes to decisions like this, always... Follow the money. The money. Yeah, he's right. Somebody, somebody on Twitter brought up a great idea. Probably would never happen, but like play the AFC Championship game at the Big House in Ann Arbor. Hundred and ten thousand people like that. outside. Cool. Right, the yeah, elements. That'd be cool. So you get your outdoor game. Mm-hmm. It's something cool, different. Mm-hmm. Sell a lot of tickets. Sell a ton of tickets. Yeah, yeah. it would sell. I out, like right? that. I, I will say Jim this. Harbaugh can interview with the teams during yeah, the right, game. Right. That is in his kitchen. Yeah. I would say this the DeMar Hamlin story, I think for me, the Bills were already a sentimental favorite to win the AFC. I've said this repeatedly. Uh, the Bills winning a Super Bowl, it's one of the great American sports stories that we have not seen, along with the Suns winning an NBA championship. And we know what it means to the people in Buffalo. Uh, that would have been a great story before the DeMar Hamlin uh, scenario situation injury that we all witnessed. I, I I think that by far is the team I am cheering for in the AFC. I don't this know about you. This is absolutely now America's team. You're right, Dan. Well, 
Also, in, this is what Dan was talking about earlier. Had this thing gone the wrong way, the Bills team would have had it. We, we can't play because of DeMar. Now it's going to be we are playing for DeMar. Yes. Yeah. And and they're going to the whole resolve of the football team and disposition changes. In fact, breaking news from the Buffalo Bills themselves. Hamlin actually FaceTimed the entire team today when they were in a meeting. Wow. And he, he said to the team at the end, love you boys. Now, that's not going to make those guys run through the freaking yeah. wall yeah. and bludgeon the Patriots on Sunday. I'm telling you, it's Adrian in a hospital bed right. telling Rocky to go win. win. What's that? That's what? Win. What? All right. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> that's win. what this is, man. Win. All right. All right. Uh, Nine o'clock hour on a Friday. I always call it. It's the Jarrett Carlin hour. You've been warned, people. You've been warned. Nine o'clock hour on a Friday. We begin it with social studies. That's next. You're listening to Tim Ring, Dan Bickley, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.